This service is called Word and Worship. I don't know if you saw the heading in the notices, but it's Word and Worship. Uh, so we're going to turn to the Word now, uh, and you'll find it in the Church Bibles in uh, page 1010, 1010. Mark chapter 7, 1010. I'm reading from the Bible that was on the lectern because I forgot my glasses and it's slightly larger print, so I hope you're not struggling like me. It's uh, Mark 7, and it's 1 to 8, and then 14 and 15, and then 21 to 23. Um, That's the reading that's provided for us by the, the common worship, the lectionary, and it's missing out some verses just to shorten it. Um, but I think it's, uh, we'll stick with the shortened version. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as a washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Jumping to verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Verse 20, he went on to say, What comes out of a person is what makes them unclean. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from the inside and makes a person unclean. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it feels like it sometimes when it's as hard-hitting as that. Help us to feast 
on this today, Lord, and learn from you so that we can make a difference in the world where we are. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. I asked my wife if I should put my jacket on so that I could be in front of you in, in my suit, and she said, no, you look like a stuffed turkey. <laughs> so that's, that's the encouragement I get from my spouse. But I, I, when I look out on your faces, I, I feel encouraged because I know that you enjoy the Word and you want to unpack it and, and, and feast on it. And this talk today I've, I've called Making a Difference. Uh, and I want to start by saying that we can make a difference. I want them to go on to what Jesus was referring to there about worshipping in vain and talk about worship makes a difference and conclude by saying that knowing Jesus ultimately is what makes the difference. Queen Victoria once held a, a diplomatic uh, reception for an African chieftain. And um, you may have seen this on the, an episode in The Crown. And there was 500 guests in this reception, and it was a kind of a, a finger buffet affair. Uh, and uh, all was going well and, uh, un until the finger bowls arrived. Uh, and uh, the African chieftain waggled his fingers in the finger bowl and then picked it up and drank the contents of his finger bowl. And all eyes were on Queen Victoria. How was she going to react? Moments later, Queen Victoria picked up her finger bowl and drank the contents. And 500 guests followed suit. They picked up their finger bowls and drank the contents. You see, Queen Victoria was making a difference there. She was saying that the traditions of men wasn't as important as keeping our eyes on the Queen, or in our case, on the King of Kings. And my first point, which is that we can make a difference, we can see that Queen Victoria made a difference in that uh, introduction. But we can make a difference where we are. We can make a difference uh, in the way we interact with people, especially our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews. We can make such a difference in their young lives and in those around us. We send our kids uh, to school for education or some homeschool, but we can teach them the Scriptures. We can teach them uh, Bible stories. We can teach them Christian morals. We can encourage them by how we are and by what we've learned from the Scriptures ourselves, and even thinking back to how we would reflect on Sunday school teachers we've had who made a difference to us. We can make a difference as we hold on to the commands, Jesus said, to love God with all our hearts, to love others, and, hey, we may have to let go of some of the traditions, some of the things that we've just accepted as part of who we are. Barbara Burgess 
got an MBE for public service in 2000, the year 2000. Barbara Burgess made a difference. She made a difference to me. She was my teacher. She was my maths teacher, Miss Burgess to me. And Barbara Burgess uh, taught us, and she was one of these take-no-prisoners type of maths teachers. Uh, but I finished up being an accountant, and so I think she had a good effect on me. But the thing about her was she also led our Christian Union. It was quite a strong Christian Union at our school. And we saw a tender side to her. And, and I, I loved uh, owning up to being a Christian in that school because the, the, the Scripture Union was quite strong and she was a wonderful Christian teacher. On the 2nd of November 1971, Barbara Burgess was shopping in Elizabeth Boyd's clothes shop in Ormo Road in Belfast when the IRA detonated a bomb, a bomb without a warning, and she was caught up in the explosion. She had 500 stitches in her face. She had 500 stitches in the rest of her body. She lost her right leg. She had other impairments. She survived. That was on the 2nd of November. The following September, believe it or not, Barbara Burgess, Miss Burgess to me, came back to teach. And I can remember staring at her and just being amazed that she, she wore a skirt so we could all see her artificial leg. We could see how she would hitch her hip to walk. She never spoke about the trauma that she'd been through, not even in our Christian union. She taught me how to endure, how to get on with it when the going got tough. She taught me how to give Jesus the preeminence, as we read about in Colossians 1, that she didn't seek to be a real hero. She got recognized for it through her MBE, but she didn't seek it at all and never referred to it. She, she, she went back to teach us as if nothing had happened. And eight years later, she, it spoke volumes to me when I was going through my own trauma of the car accident that left me paralyzed. It was somebody that I wanted to use as a model because in a way that's the way I wanted to carry what had happened to me, not by drawing any glory or attention to myself, but trying to give our Lord the preeminence because he is worthy of all honor and praise. Barbara Burgess made a difference our traditions are not what makes a difference. But loving God and sharing his love with others and being a Christian, a Christ's one where you are, will make a difference. Will we do it? As we venture out of lockdown, will we venture out as Christians in our neighborhood and with our friends and families and our grandchildren and children, will we influence them? Because Jesus says what's on the inside comes out. What we put into our young ones, ourselves, will come out.
It's vital, a vital role we have to play with our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews. It will make such an effect in our locality and on our island and in our society. We can make a difference. Secondly, worship makes a difference, or actually true worship makes a difference. Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, verse 13, in this Mark 7 scripture. He said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. And then he goes on to verse 21 and say, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. It's so easy these days to allow sin within. I've got to be honest about that. We've got to be careful about what we read, what we listen to, what we watch, how long we spend on our gadgets. It can be sinful if you think about it. It's what is within that can reveal a heart that is far from God. It says in Mark 7, verse 6. And then note that horrible list of evils. I just slowed my speech down for the impact. All these evils come from the inside. Frightening. Sin isn't a word that we hear much these days. Sin actually is a word that offends in our society. Just the word. Sin uh, offends because this is a time where my lived experience is, is everything. What, if, if, if I feel good when I do something, then it must be good. Sin offends people like that when we say to them that all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. How can they say, how can it be short of godly if it feels good in this me time of our society? And in a way, I want to come alongside the reading and say, actually, the clean laws in the Torah is quite a good metaphor for what sin is. Because what sin does to the soul, dirt does to the body. So this whole metaphor of washing actually had a valid reason to be there. Sin defiles, sin destroys. And in, in the days before fridges and, and antibacterial wipes, sin was connected with disease and death and infection. And so sin as a destroyer, something that eats us up from the inside out, is a good metaphor because it corrupts us from the inside out, cuts us off from fellowship with God. So I thought this point was about making a difference. Uh, worship makes a difference. So what's the link with worship? Well, here it is. The Torah listed uh, several 
physical things that meant that they couldn't go in to the sanctuary to worship. They had to wash for purification uh, for a time. You read about it in Leviticus 15. But the Torah only required the priests to wash at the temple. Exodus 30 and Exodus 40 record that. Not everyone. But the elders, it says in the Scriptures, had developed a tradition. Or they called it a chumra, or a fence around like a fence around a balcony to prevent you from falling off. They called it a fence, requiring all people to wash before they had a meal, before they went into the temple. Jesus makes the point that it is just a tradition, and all these religious traditions can actually be kept while their hearts are still far from God. See, the main Hebrew word for worship is bow down, is to bow down. And all the bowing and kneeling and hand lifting and prayers and recitations and liturgies that we can do, it's all good stuff and we can call it worship. But let's face it, it can be done when our hearts are far from God. We can do the ritual. Even here, we can do the ritual. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to these people as the Pharisees gathered around him. That's quite a threatening crowd around him. And Jesus illustrated it, not right here, but in the story of the prodigal son, when he told about not the story of the, the, the younger son, but in the story of the older brother who kept all the rules, who did everything right, and he felt he had earned his keep. And what happened? He missed the banquet. He missed the worship, the true worship. It had been in vain. The elder brother missed the banquet. Because true worship is drawing near to God, is longing to be in His presence, not far from God. Psalm 29 verse 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness. That's words of an experience, of an emotion. It's about a heart that's anything but far from God. True worship makes a difference because it rises from a deep, deep longing from within us to be near, not far from God. John Piper says that worship is not a means to something else. As I said, this service is called Word and Worship. I used to think that these people here that would warm you up for me to come along and deliver this bit, okay? And, but worship is not a means to an end. It's not setting you up for the preacher. And nor was the songs that were sung in the tent mission before, while the evangelist was coming, nor was that a means to an end to prepare the people for the evangelist. Worship is an end in itself, John Piper says. It's for God. It's to God. It's because 
He is who he is. Because he was and is and is to come in Revelation 1, you'll find that. He is worthy of our praises. Like me, you've probably been shocked by the news from Afghanistan, and particularly the little bit of news which, you know, credit to them was reported in the Daily Express about Christians being martyred in an underground church in Afghanistan. Shocking news. How can you sing praise to God in a situation like that? Matt and Beth Redman wrote a song at the time of 9-11. We're just about to uh, remember 20 years since 9-11. They wrote this song in their own sadness of of a miscarriage, but also at the same time 9-11, when those planes hit the towers, etc., And they wrote the song that I asked Andrew if we could have it in the service, that their heart would choose to say, blessed be his name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord in a road marked with suffering. Uh, When there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You see, that's true worship. Not because the sun's shining down on me, not because streams of abundance flow, but because God is worthy of all glory and honor and praise to his name. True worship is makes a difference. And that's why Jesus was hitting these Pharisees hard, because they were worshiping in vain. They were doing traditions which was looking good. They were going through the motions of all the liturgy, which I said, we could do it too here today. But Jesus was saying, true worship is what makes a difference. It's an affair of the heart. It's about feelings. It's about emotion. It's about letting go of your inhibitions even not worrying too much about somebody looking sideways and seeing whether you've got your hands up or down. It's an affair of the heart. True worship makes a difference. And that's a challenge for us to draw near and seek to draw nearer and nearer in word and worship, to be a part of this fellowship, to, be, uh, to worship in our music, to have quiet times in your personal life at home, to read and, and keep close to the Lord in that way. True worship makes a difference. And finally, I think I've gone over a bit, but finally, knowing Jesus makes a difference. Ultimately, all of what I'm saying boils down to relationship. We're only as strong spiritually as our per- personal relationship with our Lord Jesus. Verse 6, he said, their hearts are far from me. If you think about it, far from me is is a phrase about relationship. Isaiah 29, 13 is essentially pointing out that the law is is about a relationship with God. Uh, To know him and to please him, to imitate him, 
to connect with him, to serve him. The law is about putting us in that place. And if doing the law and, and obeying the law puts us in that place of being near to God, then it's good. But when it becomes uh, a duty that we think is earning our salvation, then it, it's not good. When rules become an end to themselves, Jesus is pointing out, it is not good. When we simply use those words to show ourselves as good, to glorify ourselves, to be good and moral people. These days it's called virtue signaling, and you see it a lot uh, in, in, the in, the, in the media, social media, where people talk about what they're into, virt signaling their virtues. I'm for Black Lives Matter. I'm for uh, sustainability. I'm for this and I'm for that. I'm not knocking any of these things. But if I suddenly start having a, a Twitter or a Tweety page or whatever you call it, then accuse me, please, of virtue signaling. Because all I'm doing, if I suddenly get into that game, is trying to tell you how good and how moral a person I am. And I do not want to take any glory like that in all things. Christ must have the preeminence. So to know him personally is what it's all about, not to uh, take the glory for myself. It's remarkable, I think, that Jesus never wrote a book and never tried to get his followers to sign up to a creed of things that they must teach. Jesus' way of dealing with his disciples was by relationship. He said things like, follow me and uh, I am the way. He didn't uh, say, teach this. He said, do this. He modeled who he was. He said, go into the world. He hasn't commanded us to repeat creeds. He has taught us to do his deeds. He hasn't commanded us to recite the Our Father. He's taught us to do our Father's will. That's about relationship. Essentially, to know him personally and to make him known. I guess the challenge we must ask ourselves is, do we still, even after all these years, have that ongoing daily relationship with the Lord? A hard question, but is it still personal for you and for me? Does our daily living match up to our religious persona? I want to finish with a, a story of Dan Jervis. Anybody know his name? He was on TV about four weeks ago. Uh, he's an Olympic 1,500-meter swimmer. 
And the reason you don't know his name is because he didn't get a medal. He came a credible fifth in the finals of the 1500 meters freestyle. Dan Jervis is someone, when he went on the TV and spoke, I thought, that's somebody that knows the Lord personally. I'll tell you what he said when he spoke on the BBC. He said, I want to give thanks to God. I want to speak about my church back home in Wales. I want to thank my church. Everyone back home has been praying for me. The thing I'm most proud of is, the, is that I'm a Christian. And obviously, God was with me tonight. And I'm really grateful to be representing him. Isn't that lovely? That on that stage, come fifth in the Olympic final. Why? Because he knew Jesus personally. And knowing Jesus personally made a difference. Like Queen Elizabeth, uh, Queen Victoria in our opening story, if we keep our eyes on him, if, uh, if we follow his lead, we will make a difference for we are. But it will be about worship. It will be about keeping in that close relationship. It will be influencing those within our realm of influence, our friends, our neighbors, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, and our neighbors. Shall we do it? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and uh, indeed challenging. But we want to be effective where we are. We don't want to retreat, Lord. We want to go out we thank you that we have such good news to bring, how you've transformed us, how you've saved our souls. Help us, Lord, to be good ambassadors where you lead us. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.